The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. And today we're talking about America first, what it means, and uh, whether Donald Trump is a representative of an American first foreign policy. I think I've argued so far that no, he's not. The idea is a good idea. Uh, it's not an idea he invented, but he projected some of some good ideas during the campaign around this idea of American foreign policy, and yet has not lived up to any of them. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I know some of you, I'm sure, will disagree. But what does America first mean? It means the protection of Americans. It means the protection of American citizens, the protection of their rights. It means the, the protection of their rights to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what America first. It means protecting our lives and property from foreign invaders, from terrorists, from people outside the U.S., that's why it's foreign policy, who would do us harm. Now, we don't even do that inside the U.S. The U.S. government hasn't focused and hasn't, uh, you know, made its primary function to protect our individual rights inside the United States for 100 years at least. So it's not surprising that it doesn't know what it's doing, doesn't know how to do it, doesn't know what to do when it comes to our foreign policy. So I'm going to take a quick call from Ajun, uh, who's calling from Hong Kong. This is this is like a, becoming an international show. I think we got Malaysia the other day, and now we got Hong Kong. Very strong in um, in Asia. I don't know about, uh, you know, maybe we're going to have to get some European callers. I don't know where the European calls are. All right, Ajun, uh, you want to talk about terrorism and, uh, in the, you know, states, I guess, that fund terrorism? Uh, no, actually, um, oh. because I, I I think those are a little more clear cut. Okay. So, um, as you already said on the show, you know, if if it, if if any more funny business goes on, you know, they should be dealt with. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm a little more concerned about the um, the other states, which, uh, for example, steal uh, military stuff and uh, and um, are indirect threats like that, and not really funding terrorism. I so see. the give one me, that comes to mind immediately, the one that comes to mind immediately is China. That uh, has been known to steal um, military technology. I understand. Yeah, no. So um, my view of China, I'm, I'm very mixed. You already on China. you already dismissed uh, Russia earlier in the show, but that would be the other one I would think of a little bit. Yeah, so I wouldn't dismiss either one of them. I wouldn't dismiss either one of them. Okay, okay. I would be very clear that both of them are not our friends. They're not our friends for two reasons. One, because they have autocratic dictatorial regimes that oppress their own people. You cannot be friends with a dictator. You cannot be friends in the name of individual rights, in the name of protecting your own people, with somebody who does not respect the rights of their own people. So I would not consider China or Russia to be a friend of the United States. Um, the second reason is this reason you said, they steal our stuff. They uh, they hack our computer systems. I've only systems. heard about that from China. Oh, oh, Russia with the hacking. Okay, yeah, I didn't think. Oh, well, China hacks as well. We we know very well yeah. that a lot of the hacking, maybe not political hacking, but a lot of the economic hacking that happens, is happening out of China, and uh, there's lots of evidence that a lot of that hacking actually it happens from units within the Red Army in China, where they're developing, if you will, their cyber offensive uh, capabilities. Uh, I think the economic stuff is actually. Um, 
Go ahead. Sorry, I think the economic stuff is overblown by the protectionists because that can yeah, no, I'm not be talking about economic stuff. Customs, right? I'm uh, talking about breaking into American computers and stealing stuff. That's not economic. Oh, it's a criminal act. Okay. It's a criminal act. And a criminal act yeah. funded by a foreign government is, in a sense, an act of war. So uh, I do not consider Russia and China friends. And I think that would be, uh, if again, if I were president, God forbid, so I would make it very clear that I don't consider China or Russian friends. That doesn't mean they're enemies, right? It means that I'm wary of them, that I've got an eye on them, that if they do things like hacking and other stuff, there are repercussions, and those repercussions could be uh, cyber warfare against them. It means that I warn American companies when dealing with these countries that these are not rights-respecting countries and that their rights might be violated when they go over there. And don't expect us you know, to jump and protect your property if, if you're voluntarily going and dealing with them. Uh, it, it means that we put them on notice that if they don't behave, they could make the enemies list. And you don't want to make the enemies list because, you, because of how powerful the United States is and what it would mean to be an enemy of the United States. I'll get to that in a few minutes. But, but in the case of um, both China and Russia, I mean, you could like push it, push it a little bit and you could say, okay, China is allies with North Korea. North Korea, you know, through sure. Iran is a, sure, Iran so is a direct I think, friend. I think China is and allies with North Russia, Korea. You could push it the, through Syria because Syria yeah, is but, friends with Iran and Russia is friends with Syria. So. Yeah, but let's get both clear. Both of them have like, like a degree all, of separation from Iran. All of that. All of that is a consequence of American weakness. If we were not weak, if we were strong, if the consequences of messing with us were obvious, if we dealt with Iran the way Iran needs to be dealt with, then China and Russia would behave themselves. Because neither China or Russia want a war with the United States, neither China or Russia want a conflict with the United States. They've got their own problems. The only reason they meddle with North, with, with North Korea, with Iran, with all, because of our weakness. We are giving them this opening. So the first thing that has to be established is American strength. The first thing that has to be established is, again, this definition. And I think definitions are really important. The identification of who are our friends, who are we going to fight with, who, uh, who are we kind of don't like but are not an enemy, and who is the enemy that is there to be destroyed. And we need to make an example of one of these enemies, for example, the Iranian regime. And if you make an example, everybody else will start behaving themselves. And so, would, so I'm not worried about that. But, but, and, and I would also say that the fact that I don't consider China a friend doesn't mean I don't believe we should trade with them. I, you know, I believe trade is mutually beneficial. I believe we benefit from trade with China. As long as China is not an enemy of ours, there should be free trade with China, and the same with Russia. I don't believe in sanctions. I don't believe in all this stuff. If somebody is an enemy to the point where you do not want to trade with them, then there should be no trade, zero. It should be a complete embargo. None of this we're going to sanction a little bit here and a little bit there. Again, that's the kind of wishy-washy compromising foreign policy that we have today that I would reject completely. So would you say that um, Russia and China aren't in that category because they're not suicidal and belligerent like Japan was in World War II and, and the That's Islamists right. are now. That's right. The right? only That's extent to which like China and Russia act against America's interest is the extent that we allow it through our own weakness. Yeah. They're, they not, feel, they're not belligerent or, or no. suicidal. or uh, no. They're not suicidal. Yeah. They that don't want to commit sense, suicide. Yeah. They don't want to mutually assure destruction. They, they, if yeah. we don't 
assert ourselves, they will fill the vacuums that we create. You're seeing that. Uh, you see that all over the world. Vacuums. I think even you know, they're not going to be any vacuums. So if the United States doesn't assert its own interests, other people will assert theirs. Yeah, that 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 makes it much clearer. Great, great. Thanks for calling so they're us. They're all pretty. They're all pretty evil, but only the ones that are belligerent and suicidal are really a threat. Yeah, and some are more evil than others. I mean, let's let's take China for example. China's a you know it's an authoritarian and and it's got a real problem, but it's not totalitarian. It has a, a large extent of free speech. Not I anymore. go there and speak regularly. I could not go to Iran. I could not go to North Korea. So there is a degree, a difference of degree between those. I would consider Iran and North Korea not only belligerent, but also on the scale of evil, they are much more evil than any of these other. I mean, on a different, different uh, level uh, of evil where, where there's no freedom to the citizens or very little freedom for the citizens at all. And they are aggressively pursuing uh, actions that are anti-American in a sense of doing harm to the lives and property of Americans. So uh, that's how I would differentiate. And I think there's a big difference there. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Arjun. Uh, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Uh, as we said, you know, uh, my focus is always what kind of foreign policy will protect the lives and property of Americans the best. And my view is. You don't tolerate people who are trying to kill you. You crush them, you destroy them, and you come home. You don't need to build democracies. You don't need a, a martial plan everywhere you go. You deal with the enemy if they're truly an enemy. All right. Uh, you're listening to the Iran Book Show. We've got a commercial break in a few seconds. We'll be back. Uh, when we get back, you can call in 888 900 PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Yaron Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-8192. That's 800-600-8192. 800-600-8192. This is the Yaron Brook Show. All right, we're talking today about America First. And, and just to give you some context, you know, I, my beliefs when it comes to morality and ethics, I, I'm an egoist. I, I believe in rational self-interest. I believe that the purpose of my life is the pursuit of my happiness. I think this is very consistent with the founding of the country. Uh, my, my, my purpose of my life is not to sacrifice to others. It's not to make other people better. I am not my brother's keeper. I am my own keeper, and I might choose to help my brother, and I might not. I might choose not to help my my brother. It should be my choice. I'm against the welfare state because I don't believe the government should tell me who to help and who not to help. I don't believe the government has the right to curse me into assisting some people. If I want to do that, there are voluntary ways to do it. And the same thing with foreign policy. I don't believe it's the government's job to go out and help people. Foreign aid, Trump just committed, I think, $600 million to foreign aid problem, pro- programs all over the world. I don't believe in foreign aid for anybody, including Israel. I'm a big fan of Israel's. But Israel doesn't need our foreign aid. They're a rich country. They're doing well. 
And, and it's not an issue of need, even if they needed it. Not our job. Not our job. You want to help Israel? Send them a check. You want to help poor kids in Africa? Send them a check. Not the government's job. The government is the agent, my agent, to protect me. Not to, not to be a social worker. Not the role of government. All right, so I want an American foreign policy, America first foreign policy to be focused on, to be focused on protecting my life, my property. That's it. And that means, and I started to articulate this, and I, and I know Michael just called in from Tennessee, and he wants to talk about universal market income or universal basic income, I think he means. And I'm gonna, I, you know, I'm gonna take your call, Michael, but but we're gonna have to do it after the next break because I, I want to get, I want to say a few things still about foreign policy, and I'm happy to talk about universal ba basic income, but not right now. All right. So what would I do? As I said earlier, an American first foreign policy. First thing you have to do is define and tell the world from now on, we in America will only use our military. And we'll only use our navy and our and our, our you know our, our military force to defend the lives and property of Americans. We are not going to fight for you. We're not going to help you out just because you need our help, unless helping you out is directly related to protecting the lives and property of Americans. We ain't doing it. And in that context, I would list here the people we're willing to work with. I, for example, would leave the United Nations. I would immediately leave the United Nations. Maybe my first act as president, certainly in foreign policy, would be to abandon the United Nations, ask them to get on a boat and, and set up their headquarters in Caracas, Venezuela. I think that would be fitting. Either there or maybe in, in uh, Damascus, Syria, they should have their headquarters there. Because that's the kind of UN policies, that's what they lead. They lead to devastation and death and, and destruction and poverty. They want, the, the United Nations is so concerned with, with human rights that they have Syrians and Saudis and Venezuelans and Cubans on the Human Rights Commission. To, I would get out of the United Nations. It is a hostile organization to the United States. Wouldn't give them a dime and ship them out of New York. New York's too good of a city to house the United Nations. So I would make it clear, this is about American interest, and the United Nations is not part of that as American interest. And I would make a list. These are the countries we're willing to work with in the world. These are the countries that are enemies, our enemies, and beware if you're an enemy of ours, because you might get the wrath of our military. And these are countries that we don't like, we're not going to work closely with, but they're also not enemies. So you're on notice, but we're not going to do anything to you. Uh, by the way, I would only have embassies in the countries that are friends. I would not have any embassies in Russia, China, in Venezuela, in a lot of these countries. I mean, by having a, or Saudi Arabia, for example, by having an embassy in a country, you're sanctioning the legitimacy of the regime in that country. I don't accept the legitimacy of any regime that does not respect, at least at a basic level, the individual rights of its citizens. Regimes that are, that are authoritarian, do not get my respect and therefore do not get a sanction from the greatest country in human history, from the country that represents it as a beacon of freedom. At least that's what I mean, the United States of America used to be. So I would say no embassies in those countries. Um, and so that would be first step number one. Second, I would make it clear, I would make it clear that the, the th assisting these terrorists, whether they be
ISIS, whether they be Al-Qaeda, whether it's Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, Muslim Brotherhood, and they're all the same from my perspective. Some are more deadly to Americans, other less deadly. Some only want to kill us in the future because they're too busy right now. Others want to kill us right now. They're all the enemy. The enemy is Islamic totalitarianism. The enemy is the ideology of jihadism. Right? Anybody affiliated with these organizations, anybody funding them, anybody, you know, uh, in any way protecting them, is an enemy of the United States and therefore should expect the full wrath of the American military. I would tell Israel, destroy your enemies, destroy Hamas, destroy Islamic Jihad, you have a green light from us. We don't need to intervene, the Israelis can take care of it. I would destroy ISIS. If you had to put troops on the ground, put troops on the ground. Spend two weeks going house to house and cleaning the place out. Drop as many bombs as necessary to protect our troops and destroy them. Destroy them thoroughly. I would tell Saudi Arabia, Qatar, uh, United Arab Emirates, all of those countries in the Middle East. If you fund, if one dollar of your money gets into the hands of Al-Qaeda or ISIS or any of these other organizations, here's the list. You will be deemed an enemy and we will unleash the military force of the United States against you. Behave yourselves. You do not fund. You do not support the destruction of America. I would tell the Saudis, you do not fund mosques that preach the destruction of the West. You do not fund mosques that preach the destruction of America. You do not fund mosques that preach Sharia law, which means you don't fund mosques, period. You start funding mosques and madrasas all over the world, you are an enemy of the United States, expect to receive the full wrath of the American military force. The same thing with Iran. Iran, you stop funding Hezbollah, you stop funding Hamas, you stop developing nuclear weapons, and if not, we will destroy you. I, I used to say after 9-11, you know, I haven't done a lot of foreign policy stuff since then, I used to say we should give Iran the infrastructure their Islamist ideology deserves, which means a mid-age, you know, a dark age infrastructure, you know, of a thousand years ago. Destroy everything technological in that country unless they behave. Now, before I did that, I would dramatically, what, what, what Obama didn't do when he had a chance, really support the, the opposition in Iran. Give those young kids every piece of intellectual, spiritual, moral support to overthrow the regime as it exists in Iran today. But if they don't do it, it's an enemy, full wrath of the American military. You do that once or twice, and people start behaving, people start respecting you, people start fearing you, and people start leaving you alone. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, all of that. It just disappears. So, I'm for a real America first foreign policy. America, an America first foreign policy that places America first, that places the interests, the lives, the property of Americans first. That doesn't, that is not powered by our enemies. All right, we're going to be back after this break. We'll talk about universal basic income and more about America first. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
The Yaron Brooks Show. All right, so since we're articulating what an America first foreign policy would look like, let's go for it, right? So we talked about the Middle East a little bit. I would let the Israelis loose. I would basically take care of business, put the Saudis in their place, make it clear to them the consequence of continuing the support of terrorism all over the world. And uh, I would, I would, you know, take care of the Iranians, uh, hope for a uh, revolution in Iran uh, for some, some, uh, for for some of the Iranians who are more pro-West, pro-secular, anti-jihad to come to power. But if not, they have to be dealt with. They they cannot be allowed to continue to fund terrorism. They cannot be allowed to create an axis from from Iran to Iraq to Syria to to Lebanon, which is a complete Shiite Iranian led axis of terror. Uh, this is this is what George Bush created with his failed foreign policy. This is what Obama encouraged with his failed foreign policy, and this is what uh, Donald Trump is facilitating with what looks like is going to be his completely failed foreign policy. So, you know, uh, none of them, none of them are America first. None of them come close to being uh, America first. So these Shiites, uh, the, the Shiites are winning in the Middle East. There's no question about that. That's why the Saudis are so terrified. Um, but more than that, let's let's go further. Let's go to Europe. Let's go to uh, Russian aggression in Ukraine. I, I mean, this is my standard for going to war, right? This is the standard for going to war. Are you willing to look your kid in the eye and say, your kid, your son, your daughter, this is a war you should volunteer and go and fight? No, you're not willing to do that? Then it's not a good war. It's not a just war. right? So I believe in only volunteer army, always. I don't believe in a draft. I think the draft is one of the most evil things in the world. And that includes, by the way, Israel. I don't believe in the Israeli draft. I think Israel should have a volunteer army. So I don't believe we should go to war unless you believe that it's so important to go to this war that your kid would be willing to fight in. And the standard there is only it's defending the values. Only it's defending the lives and property of America. So should we go to war in Ukraine? No. Should we go to war if Russia invades Estonia? No. Should we go to war if Russia, if, if Russia invades Poland? No. Europeans are rich. Let the Europeans defend themselves. So one of the things I liked about about Trump. I didn't, I never liked Trump. I, I, I despise Trump. I still despise Trump. But one of the things I liked about Trump in the campaign is he, he brought up the issue of, of, should we be in NATO? And I don't think we should be. He brought up the question of, should we be defending NATO countries that get attacked? I don't think we should be. I don't want my son fighting in Estonia. It's one thing to fight against terrorists after 9-11 because they struck America, they're an enemy of the United States. They want to destroy the United States. But Estonia has nothing to do with us. So I would, I would get out of NATO. I would get out of NATO. I don't, I don't believe uh, the United States needs to be a member of NATO. I think the Germans and the, and the British and the French are wealthy enough that they could fund NATO themselves and they could defend themselves. They're far richer than Russia, by the way, far, far richer than Russia. So they, they, they have nothing to fear. I mean, this, this is the other thing. Oh, the Russians, they're so dangerous. No, they're not. No, they're not. They should be easy to take care of if, if the Europeans actually invested in it. But, I, you know, I don't. And it's the same with South Korea. Why are we in South Korea? South Korea is a rich country. Its, it's neighbor to the north is a poor country. I believe South Korea could take care of North Korea if it was 
left alone to do so. And if it didn't rely on America, and by the way, if I were a country, any country in the world, and America said, we'll protect you, I wouldn't trust them for one minute. I would look at the la history of the last 50, 60 years and say, you guys haven't won a single war. Except maybe, you know, uh, uh, the Gulf War 91 and maybe in Grenada or something. You haven't won a single serious war since World War II. Why would I want America to, to protect me? I, I would want to protect myself. I wouldn't want to defend themselves. So I say, get out of there. Let them protect themselves. Let them defend themselves. I believe in a very strong United States fleet, Navy, that protects the shipping lanes, that protects trade, that does not let China restrict shipping, restrict trade, opens it up for the world. You know, one of the first uh, military actions the United States got involved in was Thomas Jefferson in the very early part of the 19th century during his presidency, ordering the Marines to the Mediterranean to destroy, eviscerate the pirates, the, the, the Muslim pirates who are, who are disrupting shipping. This is the property of the United States, right? The property of American citizens, not the property of the United States, the property of American citizens. And it needs to be protected. So the idea that we have pirates in Somalia and other places when we have the kind of navy we have today is, is ludicrous. We should go there and make it clear what happens to pirates who, who, who you know, try to, try to hijack American ships. They die very quickly. That's an American first foreign policy. Robust navy that protects the shipping lanes, a robust military that destroys our enemies. And by the way, our military is plenty robust today. We have the largest, I would cut the, 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 uh, the military, you can cut spending significantly. There's so much waste. We do, we're in 120 different countries today. We're hunting down people in Kenya, tribal conflicts we're involved in, in 120 different countries. We don't have enemies in 120 different countries. If we just focused on enemies, if we just focused on destroying our enemies, not building them up, then we need a small military, but incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. So that would be an American first. And let me just say, Trump ain't no American first foreign policy president, unfortunately. There's nothing... Nothing I see in what he's done, his meeting with Putin, his groveling with the Saudis, his, uh, his refusal to move the Israeli embassy, the, emb the American embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem because he's afraid of offending the Palestinians or the Saudis or the Egyptians or whoever. Really, none of that is America first. None of that. His commitment in Poland just a few days ago to defend any any uh, NATO country. So if somebody invades Turkey, Turkey, any, a country on the way towards Islamism, a potentially jihadist country, American kids are going to go send, be sent to defend Turkey. This is what he committed to, including Estonia and Ukraine. And, well, Ukraine's not part of NATO, but Estonia certainly is. Wrong, wrong, bad foreign policy, not America first, and not, by the way, what he promised during the campaign. So no, I, I don't consider Trump an American first president. Uh, unfortunately, it's sad, but true. I don't think that was he was elected because I don't think Americans understand America first. Uh, I, I think the America first portion, 
that people responded to, unfortunately, tragically, was his anti-trade rhetoric and his anti-immigration rhetoric. And let me just be clear. I'm for trade, 100%. We'll talk about it in the next segment. And I'm for immigration. I'm a huge supporter of immigrants and immigration. And I think our immigration system is broken and it needs to be fixed. Before we talk about legal, illegal, we have a broken system. Fix it. And that means allowing more legal immigrants into this country, make it easier for people to come to this country, particularly if they're coming here to work. All right, uh, we got Michael on the line who wants to talk about universal basic income. After the break, I'll take that call. Uh, but I do want to talk about steel tariffs. I, I, I want to talk about steel because this is a big issue coming out of the G20 uh, the other day. All right, you're listening to your Ron Brook Show. We'll be right back after this break. This is the Yaron Brook Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Yaron Brook. This show goes by so fast. We're, right, we're, we're, we're at the last segment of the show. You can listen to it on any medium possible. Uh, so feel free to do so. And um, also, I'd appreciate it if you, if you found any of the material today entertaining in any way uh, or useful or educational. Uh, then follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Twitter, Yaron Brook, Y-A-R-O-N-B-R-O-O-K, Y-A-R-O-N-B-R-O-O-K. Or on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash ybrook, ybrook, follow me there. And, um, you know, a lot of stuff. I, I put out a lot of videos. Uh, I put out a lot of content. I link to a lot of interesting articles. Um, be my friend on Facebook. Well, follow me. I, I guess it's like me. Like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter. All right. Um, Michael, are you, uh, are you on there? Hey, Michael. Yeah, yeah I'm here. You want to talk about universal basic income, or you want to talk about America first? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't care what we talk about, but I just I, I, I respect your views, and I'm a I'm a student of like of Ayn Rand, Milton Friedman, Thomas Sowell, Hayek, all that stuff, and I'm a huge capitalism free market guy. Cool. And I believe markets always work. Uh, so go ahead. So 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 yeah. so if you believe all that, why do you have a question about universal basic income? Well, I'll tell you. Because for years, I always heard about how Milton Friedman was sort of in favor of it. And yep. it kind of, I always kind of thought, oh, well, that's just one of his big flaws, I guess. Yep. And then I, and then I started thinking about Ayn Rand, you know, feelings aren't tools of cognition. So I was like, well, I, I need to verify this. So I finally digged into it, and I spent a couple of months looking into it. And his, his, uh, it, it at the surface, it seems antithetical to market principles, but it's, his, he's got some pretty sound reason as to why it would be a better alternative to what we have now. Well, the question I mean, is, would it be better or would it be best? And the question yeah, is, what, will, are we, what, are we, what are we arguing for? Are we arguing for improving yeah. the existing system? Or are we arguing for a real revolution, a laissez-faire capitalist revolution? Yeah. yeah. And, I, I and, absolutely agree with you there. Yeah, and there's no question that a universal basic income, if done right, 
and truly, if it replaced every single other redistribution program in the U.S., including Medicare and Social Security and food stamps and everything, if we wiped all those out and we replaced them with some kind of universal basic income, yeah, it would be better. It would still be yeah. immoral. You would still be yeah. using force yep. to take money from some people and give it to others. You would mm -hmm. still be distorting the economy by taxing people and giving handouts to people. So in a moral and practical sense, it's not the best. Is it a mm -hmm. marginal improvement over what we have today? Yeah. I, I, you know, just imagine, just think of all the bureaucrats that you would fire who manage all the different government programs as they exist today if you replaced it with something simple like a, a, a universal basic income. Now, could you actually get away with it? That is, is it affordable? Could you, because the basic of a universal basic income is that everybody gets it so that you don't penalize people from going, from getting it. So there's no tax on, on working. And mm -hmm. can you afford to do it um, is a big question. But I think the bigger issue is, yeah, it's an improvement, but it's still dramatically immoral. It's in it, in it, by us advocating for it, by, by Milton Friedman advocating, we gave it sanction. We gave the idea of redistribution sanction. And that's what I find offensive. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I, I think the whole argument is basically, God, we've got to do something about the welfare state. And I guess... He, no, but what I don't want to do is make it more efficient, because then it'd be harder to get rid of it. I mean, the fact that it's so inefficient, the fact that it's so destructive, is actually gives us an opportunity to make the case... Hey, this shouldn't exist at all. And and look, but we'll never win that battle until we win the moral argument. And to win the moral argument, the redistribution is morally wrong. You can't at the same time fight the moral argument the redistribution is wrong, and at the same time say, yeah, but in the meantime, I want to do this massive redistribution. Yeah. Yeah, you're contradicting yourself. And I think Friedman, unfortunately, on many fronts, uh, you know, had this had this uh, this issue where. He would, he would give short-term solutions that I actually think long-term undercut the case for freedom and liberty and laissez-faire capitalism. Look, um, Michael, thanks for the question. Thanks for calling. Please call again because I'm sure I'll do a whole show on universal basic income at some point. So really appreciate the call. Uh, we need, okay. We're about to wrap up here. we got about a minute and a half oh, before, right. before we wrap up the show. So thanks for calling. Keep listening. Well, uh, I love your work and uh, I ran for real. Appreciate it. <laughs> Great. Everybody out there, read Ayn Rand, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, um, and, um, and uh, look us up at the Ayn Rand Institute, uh, AynRand.org, A-Y-N-R-A-N-D.org. So I, I want to talk about, uh, at some point, about uh, steel and dumping and, and all this stuff that, that Donald Trump's been talking about later coming out of the G20, but we don't have time. We don't have time. So in a future show... We'll do about trade and why I am a free trader, why I believe absolutely in free trade. I don't believe in any of this nonsense that we're getting out of, uh, out of the Trump administration. I don't have any problem with the Chinese dumping this steel here. I think it's great. It actually lowers our cost of so many of our goods. Uh, so, great. You're listening to the Iran Book Show. You have been listening uh, every Sunday, this time, this place. Talk to you next week. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network.